of visitors this morning. Sorry, this is a little bit in-house, but uh, my consultant thinks I'll be in heaven by the summer, if not before, which uh, in, on the one hand is very good news. Uh, on, on the other hand, that we've been praying that maybe God will give some extra years, because um, there's a lot to do, and there are things I work with an organization called Waleswide, and uh, we've just started an initiative to look to see a new mission to Wales. I, they stopped Chemoir um, a month ago, which was really handy, because that meant that I could do the leaders' meetings in Carmarthen and Swansea and Bridgend and Rhaeda and Carnarvon and Mould and Bala and Pontlou. And we've got two more. So uh, there's, there is much to do. But I, I, I was quite struck by, um, by a quote that I saw from John Wesley. Could, if you could kind of... Here we are. When asked by a lady how he would spend his last hours if he knew he were to die at midnight the following day, Wesley replied, Why, just as I intend to spend it now. I shall preach this evening at Gloucester and again at five tomorrow morning. After that, I shall write to Tewkesbury, preach in the afternoon, and meet the societies in the evening. I shall then repair to friend Martin's house, converse and pray with the family as usual, retire to my room at ten o'clock, and then in quiet faith and glad trust commend myself to my heavenly Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in his home. I intend to do something similar, but not to preach at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, I, I have a, a certain amount of physical discomfort, so it may be that at some point I'll just kind of sit down and, uh, like an old sage, I'll preach to you that way. Um, but our, our, our subject this morning, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and uh, looking at the, the first letter, the, the second letter will come after Christmas just for the month. We're going to do, um, to look at that, but maybe more briefly. Um, and this is a letter to this rapidly growing church that people had taken note of that uh, across the, that part of, uh, of the Roman provinces, people had heard about what God had done in Thessalonica. Uh, and therefore, Paul writes the letter to put some important foundations in for churches. And foundations, of course, that are as essential for Thornhill Church as for Thessalonica. They're kind of important elements for a healthy church. And uh, we've seen, you know, just the emphasis in the first two chapters on the work of the Spirit and how it was God's work. It's not man's church. It's God's work, God's church. And then in chapter 3, the, the whole sense of it, it, how God works in difficult circumstances and various forms of persecution that affected them and, uh, and how they needed to cling together and love one another and uh, live in sexual purity. We had Di Hanke, which I thought was really memorable. I, that uh, If you weren't here for that one, you really ought to download it because uh, Di was at his inimitable best. Uh, and then over the last few weeks, the whole question of future hope, and, and not living for now like materialists who, uh, and consumers, 
but living now with a view to then, that uh, there's a reward coming. We're, we're here for a short period, some shorter than others, um, but, uh, you know, we will be there forever, so don't be dull. Don't live here for now. Live here for then. That's how the apostle has brought these themes. But as we get to chapter 5, there's a final essential. That there's just this other theme. And, and maybe surprisingly, as a kind of finale, uh, and then there are some exhortations and a conclusion, but, but the final theme is maybe not what you'd expect. The final theme is about healthy attitudes to leadership. And he puts that at the end, almost implying that what's come before it is dependent on this one issue. And, uh, you know, it's true in life, isn't it? That all things hinge on leadership. That, uh, that, that a good house group is because the leaders of the house group have done the job well. That a, a church, because of its leadership, the government, that, uh, well, we know all about that. Um, but in the family, families can be led well or otherwise. And uh, it, it's a no-brainer, really. Um, and that Paul is writing as a leader and as a, a, a leader of a team that's supporting this. Not only are there leaders within the church, there are leaders that speak into the church as he's doing here, Ephesians 4.11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And it's chaos without. <laughs> and, uh, and therefore, this essential is essential here as well as there. And I, I don't think the place in the letter is an accident, that we need to take these attitudes to leadership seriously. And uh, I, I'm a leader, and I, I've been a, a leader of churches for longer than I'd like to mention, uh, and in various places. That's been my job. And uh, I now work with leaders, um, hundreds of them, and uh, see the effect of good leadership, bad leadership, good attitudes to leadership, and bad attitudes to leadership. And the... the, the, the the element of it is in the verse. So let, let's read. I'll read from verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from what is evil, from all, every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. 
Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. It's not a Glasgow kiss. That, that was a, a, a form for the time. We have different versions. I, I put your, you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, when he's talking about attitudes, he doesn't actually specify that the kind of elements that he says about these leaders would suggest elders, but the, the right attitudes to leadership are, are, are needed for house group leaders. House groups can undermine leadership or support leadership. And this is the same in all, at all levels. But it, it gives these three features of the leaders. They are the people who work hard, he says. Verse 12. That... Uh, the, the word is laborious toil. It, it's the kind of toil of a farmer. That, that's where the word is used, where the sweat and graft involved in the work. And, and you, you could almost say, um, verse 14, that, uh, that it's in contrast to the, to the lazy. And the, the word there has this sense of truancy people that should be leading and are not, people that are mitching. I, 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 I you know, as I said, I've been a leader all, uh, for a long time, but I, I, I'm not, I have no kind of career ambitions in this regard anymore. I'm not preaching this in order to bolster my position. I haven't got one. And uh, that uh, if the doctor's right, you know, it, it wouldn't do me any good if I had. So I can say this, that, you know, sometimes I think we can be Christians who play truant from leadership. We, we, we've been struggling to find house group leaders. Someone's playing truant. We've been struggling to find youth and, and children. Someone's playing truant. If you don't mind me saying so. He said, David, you shouldn't say that. That's bullying. But no, I'm not bullying. I'm just on my way out, and I just want to kind of leave a little thought in your mind. <laughs> Don't mitch. That if, if God has put a call on your high life and gifts in your, in your heart and life, for goodness sake, use them. The second thing he says about them, not only are, is the, are they working hard, but they are over you. And, uh, you know, that sense of, oh, hierarchy, David? Because it's not very popular today, is it? Uh, but then Jesus did say that the least of you shall be the greatest, and the greatest the least. So Jesus turned leadership on his hat, hat anyway, and there's this sense of a flat leadership. It's not Roman government leadership from the emperor down and not everybody commands everybody else what to do. It's, it's a leading leadership. We need people who go ahead at front and people that initiate an entrepreneurial people. Otherwise, we just go around in circles. It's not a great idea as a church to be going nowhere. That, that le leadership is a gift that actually says, come on, guys, let's go this way. This is what the Lord is saying. And thank God for them, people that go first. And then it's leadership in the Lord. It's not a hierarchical leadership. Well, I'm an elder. So I can tell you what to have for breakfast. I'm in a position of power. No, no, not quite. Um, it's a spiritual leadership. 
that it's because Jesus has given me this role and this place that I can function in it. It is his authority, not mine. I'm, I'm, I'm not some kind of demagogue. And we can tend to get all those kind of things wrong. And then, and then lastly, that uh, who, who admonish you. Oh. oh, I don't like that. You know, fancy having leaders who rebuke you. You know, who kind of, Graham, I'm going to tick you off. Well, you know, it's not kind of fashionable, is it, these days? Do you know what I mean? We don't like anybody telling us what to do. And yet here Paul says that it's a function of leadership. That, uh, and, and, and in verse 14, that this, the, let me read it to you. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, that, that, that words have got to be spoken into people's lives, or else they'll just carry on going off on a tangent. And we should expect and be grateful. If your house group leader comes to you and say, Pete, I, the way you snore in the prayer seasons, uh, you know, people find it, why shouldn't they? And am I so proud and complete that nobody can tap me on the shoulder and say, look, David, shut up, you talk too much. Don't try it. <laughs> the, the problem is, you see, that in our culture, because of, you know, MPs with their expense accounts, and, you know, we equate leadership with dictatorship. And Paul isn't talking about, he's not talking about that we should fawn and flatter people because they've got a title. He, he's not doing that at all. You know, that uh, nobody, when I was le leading churches, called me the supreme leader, a kind of Kim Jong-un of the local church. You know, where everybody, I walk into the room and everybody bows. I, you see, I think the, the problem is at the other end of the spectrum. I... You know, when did you last know of a church leader that was dictatorial? And how many of you know? And where were they? I'm afraid, and I know hundreds of leaders, I can't think of any. My problem is that I know a lot of so-called leaders who don't lead. Who, who just kind of are administrators that keep turning the wheels over. I, I, I haven't met all of the... But you see, the problem is, it's an easy charge to make. Oh, you're just authoritarian. You're just a dictator. And on one occasion, in one situation, people said it of me. That there were absolutely no grounds for saying it. I know you'd think I would say that, wouldn't you? But I, before God... Honestly, I do not believe there was. But it's a very, very difficult charge to answer. How dare you? I'm not a dictator. Take it back. You know, you, you can't, can you? But it's, easy, it's an easy charge to make about leaders. Oh, they're always wanting power. No, because if we do that, we're undermining. No leader can, can answer satisfactorily to that charge. We, and we, we need to affirm leaders. There's such a sense of individualism today. And it's easy to disregard and subvert. And 
Everybody knows better than the pastor. Now, in a lot of areas, that's quite true. But they haven't got the responsibility of the poor bloke who was given the job. And maybe it was God who put him there anyway. And maybe we shouldn't, we should be a little bit careful about touching the Lord's anointed because maybe God doesn't want him to be undermined. There are some things here which I suspect, especially as we think about appointing future leader among the elders, that we need to take seriously and learn from. We need to affirm leaders, receive leadership, cooperate with and be a team. Because the, the words that are used here, in verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect. Well, the word means to know. It, it means to recognize. It, it, needs to, it means to acknowledge, to count. If you go on to 2 Thessalonians 3, he talks about knowing those that are misbehaving. By pointing them out, is quite easy. But here he's talking about knowing those and acknowledging those who are leaders. In verse 13, he talks about esteeming them, appreciating them, thinking highly, being loyal, honoring, trusting. And uh, if you look at verse 13, is, is it on, yeah, I'll go to some screen. And to esteem them very highly. Now, it, it, it's a lot stronger than that. One man ex translated it, beyond exceedingly abounding. He, he said, it's a triple Pauline intensive. Have you, have you met a triple Pauline intensive before? That there are occasions when Paul just stacks words on top of each other. And here he's stacking words, beyond exceedingly abundantly honour. Wow, you want me to, can't be true, to, do you really want me to beyond exceedingly, abundantly esteem Jonathan? I mean, that seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Fancy treating your leader like that. How bizarre. But actually... Leaders that aren't treated like that can be paralyzed. You can't lead the unwilling. We need to care. Carping criticism and it just immobilizes. And, and you will have known churches in the past, that I'm putting it in a general sense, that have been stymied by controversy. And that what the church is meant to be is just immobilized. The church gets stalled. The mission of the church gets stalled. Be very, very careful about speaking against leadership. Far better to be beyond exceedingly abundantly in our affirmation. Paul is saying something here very strongly. It's not a very British thing to do. When I was pastoring in Surrey, and they had loads of dosh there, they, they sent me on a sabbatical. And they said, have as much money as you want. Well, that's Surrey, isn't it? They were all bankers. And uh, so I, 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 one of the elders in the church, his son was pastor 
who was an elder in a church, the chap called Jack Hayford, it's some years ago this, in Van Nuys in California. So he kind of opened the door, spoke to Pastor Jack, and uh, I was let in and allowed, and, and I landed in L.A., and went straight in to Pastor Jack's leadership team meeting. And, uh, you know, you walk in, and there's, a, there's 120 people there. But I suppose if you've got 15,000 in your church, you need some leaders. Um, and I, I kind of sat there in, uh, in, in Church on the Way, in the, in the lounge. That's what, they call the, that's what they call the meeting of the lounge. You know, with thousands and thousands. Anyway... And, and so I, and Pastor Jack was on a bar stool and uh, just started talking about his leaders. You know these gushy Americans? You know, this kind of sugary, sweet, slimy kind of going on about how good they were? And uh, I sat thinking, oh, religion in America, thousands of miles wide and half an inch thick, you know. And, and then I realized, hang on, David, hang on, hang on, hang on. How many people are there in his church? And how many are there in this room that are his key leaders? And what's he doing? He's affirming. And actually, I realized at that point that I was a cynical Brit. I did. I realized that God was on Pastor Jack's agenda, not on mine. I realized that actually always being cynical, always having a crack, always just kind of... That actually it's harmful to the church. He was affirming and esteeming and appreciating, and so must we, that uh, everyone benefits as a result in verse 13, I, I don't know how you read this, and to esteem them very highly in the Lord because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. He's almost saying, you know, esteem them and you'll be at peace. Undermine them and you'll be in trouble. And, and how far it goes on, and yet you have something similar. In one of the warnings in Hebrews 13, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then it goes on in verse 17. Obey. Obey. Obey? Him? Sorry, Jonathan, you're my kind of token elder this morning. Obey your leaders. What's all that about? And submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls and as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. It's of no advantage to the church for the church to whinge at leadership. It's harmful. It doesn't help the church or the gospel. And you, you go down to verse 27 and... Um, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to the brethren. I mean, he, he doesn't want the point to be missed, does he? There's too much at stake. The gospel will flourish if we work together, if we affirm and esteem and appreciate one another. 
So that's the attitudes to leadership. But what about the rest of the chapter? I, I call this attitudes from leadership. And interestingly, John Stott, in the Bible Speaks Today commentary, says that these attitudes, what Paul is putting together here, produces a gospel church. A gospel church is a church people, is a church that treats one another and headship like Jesus does in mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so in verses 14 to 22, you have what I'm calling the 13 Christian commandments. Can you see them? Uh, look, let, let me read them again from verse 14. And I just want you to count out. Can you count? In dietary ped with it? No, one, two, three, four. Let, let's have a... Oh, the, 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 oh okay. Well, it begins... Sorry, I'm going to have to... Verse 14 begins with, and we urge you, brothers. Can you see it? Uh, let, me, let me read it, and, and you can count. And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, one. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every, from every form of evil. They're it, 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 kind of bullet points that come out of the earlier section. Snappy, memorable almost on a machine gun. It's a kind of briefing summary that could be taken up in lots of his other letters um, on what a healthy church looks like. And then the conclusion in 23 to 28. And healthy leadership models this. And there's a kind of trickle-down effect from the rest of the chapter. You can't separate verses 14 to 22 from verses 12 and 13. The 12 and 13 introduce what follows. And uh, that I, I, I was talking to Liz, and uh, I said, I'm a bit short of an illustration this morning. And uh, she, she quoted, and, and somebody, she didn't know who it was that had said it, you, you tell me what, the church, what a church is like, and I'll tell you what the leadership is like. And, actually, and then she said, you, show me, you tell me what the children are like, and I'll tell you what the parents are like. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, when you're in Sainsbury's and there's that brat screaming... And you just want to give it a cuff. <coughs> you don't, no, 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 child protection, part, you don't do that anymore. That's just what you, how, I got, how I was parented. Uh, and, but it, the child is saying everything about the parent, aren't they? And the church says a lot about the leadership. Like leaders, like church. 
And therefore, there's, sorry, Jonathan, you're my token elder. Elders have to model, oh, Alan, sorry, I left you out. Forget it, relax. Alan, Alan, oh, Jacob. No, I'll pick on Alan. Elders need to demonstrate and walk in the Spirit's power for the church to know how it works and to walk the same. Can we really expect the church to prophesy if the elders don't? That, 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 there is, that the, the, the order here is that the Spirit's power and prophecy and if the elders are not pure, will the church be? If the elders haven't got passion for the Lord, if the elders are not looking to a future promise, will the church? And it works the other way, doesn't it? Because, you know, in verse 14, the, he, he talks about, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. He's not talking about the elders. Or is that the, is that the elders to clobber the members and, and whinge at them about not leading house groups? Or is it, does it work both ways? And encourage the faint-hearted. Tell you what, I, I meet a lot of discouraged, despondent leaders. And I, I, I meet leaders who are lacking courage to lead because they don't feel they've got the confidence of the people that they're leading. And therefore... I, 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 was at, I was at a, a leaders' event in, in Mid Wales some time ago, and you know I said, you know, as a leadership, it's when we were in Rubina, and I said that you know we we're going to do whatever the Lord tells us to do, whatever the Spirit prompts. We ain't going to question that. We're just going for it. And and one of the leaders came up to me afterwards in the small. Oh, I said, David. Oh, I wouldn't dare do that. I mean, the consequences from my leaders. Oh, I could never, ever say I'll do whatever the Spirit prompts. What? You idiot. I, I didn't say that to him, but it was just, just a response in my heart. And this week, and how many leaders are worn out? It's, it's so much better when the church and the leaders affirm and work together, this sense of holding and caring. Because and actually, when we then come to the conclusion at the end of the chapter, and, you know, 23 is just an amazing verse. And it, may the God of peace himself, he's talked about how peace comes. It comes through leadership, being allowed to function in a godly way as leaders. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has called you as faithful and he will do it. it, it it's almost as if, if, if the leaders are affirmed and the leaders live godly, and that produces a godliness, and a, in this case, a sanctification in the church, and you just have beautiful people. And I, I was talking to a leader this week and he was kind of, I've written this book, which some of you have, have bought and read and some of you not. I don't know why not. Um, and, uh, and he was just saying that, oh, David, it's, we, 
we just need Christians to be busy out there with the gospel. And I said, well, that's true. But we also need to make, see, people need to see churches that make the gospel credible. They need to look in here and say, well, it's amazing what those people do. It's amazing how God answers those people's prayers. And of course, criticism and whinging and is the opposite of that. I, that uh, it, when I'm in Valindra, how are you feeling, Mr. Allison? What a stupid question. Feeling wretched, you silly woman. Um, how are you feeling, Mr. Allison? Well, I'm not complaining. And I have this phrase. I'm not complaining. I find it a, mu- a very overrated strategy. I find that generally whinging doesn't work. It hasn't made me feel any better anyway. Yeah, there we are. Moving on. And we can see it. You know, what... Do you, do you know families where criticism is too often expressed? What does that do to the kids? Do, do you know friendships which have been poisoned by people that are just critical? Poisonous. And the same in the church. And so all leaders, house group leaders, trustees, staff members, kids' leaders, ladies' leaders, elders, need affirmation, encouragement, acknowledgement, affection, appreciation, support. They do. And we'll all benefit if we give it. Jack Hayford was right and David Ollerton was wrong. The church's health, wholeness and fitness and peace comes from verses 12 and 13. And if we get 12 and 13 right, with all of its risks, the rest of the chapter follows. And Paul, I believe, has kept it to the last because it's essential for all the others. The last phrase of the chapter, of course, verse 28, says it all, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's how we do church. We don't do church because we've got a constitution and because we've got a rule book and because we we are quick to tell people where they're wrong. We don't do it by law. We do church by grace. We do church by loving one another, by forgiving one another, by walking in mercy and kindness, freely given. We we are a gospel church, like Thessalonica, and we do it by living the gospel. It's good, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how very practical and pertinent the New Testament is for where we are in Thornhill? Do you agree? Has a ring of truth about it. Graham's going to lead us in. So, well, Graham and his dynamic team are going to sing. Let me just pray as they come forward. Lord, as individuals, we have made mistakes here. There have been times in Thornhill's past when we have made corporate mistakes here. But we thank you that we are a people that know the grace of God and that's all past. It has no bearing on our future. We can let it go and we can come to your word as a people 
who will note, count, acknowledge leadership and affirm and esteem. Lord, we pray that whether it's working in the nursery, whether it's counting the money, whether it's turning up again on Wednesday night for the house group, I was only doing it temporarily and I'm still doing it 10 years later. Lord, whatever the leadership function is, Lord, I pray for an outbreak of appreciation. I pray that the centre staff will wonder what's happened in this coming week. Lord, we pray that you will help us all individually to make the church beautiful by being a people who appreciate those that lead. In Jesus' name, amen.